All right, thank you, Brother Craig. Welcome. Good to see you guys today. Welcome those of you who are watching online and those that are with us maybe for the first time. What a blessing it is to have you with us today. We're excited to be together. I hope you are. I know that I am. Just a couple quick announcements on top of what Brother Craig just mentioned there. This is the last time I'll mention this, but guys, there's a book in the back for you if you like one of these by Pat Morley on The Christian Man. If you haven't gotten that, there's some available there. Ladies, you're welcome for the, to this too. You may want to get it and read it and then tell your husband or your best man in your life all the things that he's doing wrong. I mean, it'd be perfect. And uh, you can just, uh, just hold this over his head forever. And it'd be great. But anyway, it's back there. I'm just kidding about all that. But ladies, you're welcome to it as well. No kidding. Okay, so uh, a couple things that you may not have recognized as you came in, uh, and that, are, that is over top of the entrance door there, over the portico porch there, uh, there are some new railings uh, that were put in. And so we're just excited about those upgrades. Uh, if you're observant, you know that those things were not looking so well. Uh, probably been 12, 15 years trying to guess about when that was done and uh, now that uh, has been repaired. So it's always good to have certain things done uh, in the place that we gather. I don't want to call this the church. You'll understand what I mean. We are the church, right? This is the building that the church gathers in, uh, but it's exciting to have uh, these little upgrades being done. And so make sure that you notice that and uh, give a hearty amen to all of that. Thank you, Brother Craig, for the missions moment. But then also, I mentioned last week we're looking for a children's ministry director. We've had an interest in that, and we just wanted to make sure that we're letting as many people know about that as possible. I think Pastor Hamp was able to put that on the Southern Baptist Conservatives website as well. They have a job posting area there. And so we're just doing our diligence to make sure that the word gets out, and then we'll be making a decision here in the not-too-distant future. And so if you have any interest in working with a director position for um, children. It is a part-time paid position, so uh, Pastor Hamp has all the information. He can give that to you, okay? All right, be praying if you're not even interested, or even if you are, whether, whatever case it might be, that God would give us that person that he wants to be here. We've always been uh, very careful uh, not just to give somebody a position, but really pray about uh, who that person might be. Very, very critical, whether it be a leadership position or anything. Uh, it's just as important. And so be praying with us as we seek the Lord on that. Okay. Um, before we get too much into the message, I just want to chat about last week and uh, just some of the things that I hear uh, online and even just from people in conversation. And that is, if you've been paying attention to my devotions, and by the way, I know who you are. I have a little tracking device that goes out on that. And so just I'm observing. I'm just kidding. Uh, that's really not the case. Okay, just make sure that everybody knows that. Uh, but if you have been paying attention to that, I've been taking us through First Peter and uh, dealing with uh, various subjects that Peter was dealing with in Rome at the time. And uh, one of the things that came to my mind was when difficult situations come, what do we do and where do we go from here? Uh, and we are people who live in a culture, live in a society, just like those people did in their own society. Far different, but nonetheless, it was home for them. And so the question comes up, what am I supposed to do? And, and the, the point of the, of the message of God is that we don't do anything differently other than we continue to pray and we continue to seek God and we continue to live the life that God has called us to live. And so no matter what happens in this life, I think it's very important that we remember uh, that as a Christian, nothing changes for us, right? Now, that doesn't mean physical things won't change. But I'm talking about in our motive and the way we approach this life. We are to be praying for our enemies. We are to be praying for those in positions of authority, right? 
This is what God teaches us. And so uh, we just keep on going, right? We just keep on serving. We keep on rejoicing. In fact, just the other day, I was doing some uh, duties in the house because my wife was working outside the home. She does accounting work, and so it's been a very busy month for her. And boy, I just took to everything, man. I steam cleaned the floors and painted the trim and washed the windows inside and out. I was just so excited about the day. And in the background, I had... Christian music playing, worship music, and I just was rejoicing, saying, Lord, you have saved us for eternity. Now, I know you hear me say this kind of thing all the time, but I just hope you listen to songs like we just sang, and you listen to the words, and you think about the fact that God has rescued us for eternity. I mean, for eternity. If there should ever be a people who are partying, it should be God's people. We should be wearing the smile on our face, not because we enjoy what's happening in the culture, but because we have been rescued. We're on our way to the eternal kingdom, and nothing will ever change that. I don't know if you can't get excited about that. I mean, you might as well just go fishing or something. I don't know, because there's nothing else that's going to beat that. And so just let that be kind of a little pre-sermon, if you will, uh, because people get distraught over this life, and we don't need to. Yeah, it may change, but we can just keep going. Amen? Isn't that good news? That God has not changed. Our king is on the throne, and he's doing everything that he knows to do as he sees fit. And we'll see that even more today. Okay, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll have you stand as we read the text. Father, we thank you for the joy uh, of being your people. How can we not grow more and more excited about the time that we're going to be with you or the time that you come here to get us? Whichever comes first. Lord, either way we win. And we have the joyful, blessed truth of knowing that you are our God and you are in full control of all things. And so, Lord, in this life, there are things certainly that discourage us and things that get us down and the weight that we feel about various things. And uh, often it can overwhelm us. But Lord, please continue to bring us back to the central truth that the, the, the victory's already been won, not necessarily as we see in this life, but the victory for our souls. You have done the work. And so everything is finished. That's what you said from the cross. And so this morning we come rejoicing. I pray that every heart in the sound of my voice this morning and across this world in the various time zones that are followers of you, children of you, will rejoice every day knowing that their souls have been redeemed. And so, uh, Lord, hear us now as we ask you to open our hearts one more time uh, this week and teach us from your word how you want us to live as we flesh out these days. And so, Father, we rejoice and we thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, please stand with me and let's look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12, the next section, if you will, in Jesus' sermon. He's beginning to wind it down and we'll talk about that this morning, okay? So Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake? Will he? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. All right, amen. You may be seated. All right, well, let's talk about what Jesus is teaching us here in this particular section. So just understand that we're coming now to the summary, if you will, of what he began back in chapter 5. That was the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? From some time ago, we began looking at the Beatitudes. And so as he is uh, teaching through all the things that he wants us to know, uh, he comes to this conclusion. And this conclusion then becomes pretty well known as the golden rule. You may have heard people use that phrase. You may have said that yourself. Uh, This is the golden rule. We want to live by the golden rule. And that simply is just what you read there in verse 12. Do for others what you would want to be done to yourself. It's just that simple. Which, by the way, is a belief that the world pretty much holds to itself. I mean, if you've known people in the world, you'll know that there are certain uh, even businesses. I read of one business called the Golden Rule Insurance Company. Some of you might have insurance with them. I don't know what that's all about, but there's the phrase anyway. Uh, There are groups out there that believe this. In fact, I was telling the early service that my wife and I, many years ago, were a part of a a vitamin company through some friends of ours uh, who sold a pretty popular vitamin in the day, and we kind of got to be a part of that. And the lady who was the director over us often would say, don't forget now, Uh, The foundation of the business, and I'm using my own words there because it's been a long time ago. I don't remember exactly how she said it was, is the golden rule. And that was the phrase she would use. I remember that very specifically, which is we want to do things that are good for others just like we want things done for us. And this woman was not a believer. She was not a follower of Christ, but she understood the principle. And so simply, I'm just saying that this is not something that's foreign even to the world. And I found this particularly interesting, speaking of the world, did you know, and some of you may, if you're a part of the legal world, that there is called the golden rule argument that lawyers actually use. It's an official thing where a lawyer can go before a jury and try to convince the jury or persuade the jury to make its decision or their decision based on the victim situation and how they themselves would want to be treated in that similar situation. Okay, so this is a real legal thing uh, that's discouraged, but it's still a legal thing. And so, again, I'm just simply saying, as much as the world lives by the same principle, it's a truth that the Lord wants us to live by because it's his word. It's what he delivered to us. In fact, I remember many years ago, as I was beginning to feel the pull, if you will, or however you want to say it, the call of God, that's the more correct theological term, Uh, for full-time ministry. Uh, I remember long before I'd ever started any schooling or any official training, there was a guy that was in our church that was um, not necessarily a a, a university-educated person, but he was a smart guy, and God had called him to ministry and uh, had been doing that for a few years. And I saw him at the church one day. He was there for some special event, and I went up to him, and his name was Billy. And I said, Billy, here's what God's doing in my life. And and I said, man, I, I don't know how to pastor a church. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. And I said, can you give me some thoughts? You've been doing this for a while. And he just kind of leaned back and scratched his chin a little bit and said, brother, just love people the way you'd want to be loved. And I thought, wow, there it is. How simple. 
And that's, a, that's something that I've tried to live by with you all, all these years, because it's truth from God's word. And so I've titled the message this morning, what I believe Jesus is saying here, which is just that, love people like you would want to be loved. Love people like you'd want to be loved. This is a summary of everything that Jesus has been teaching. And so let's see if we can bring that together so that you'll see that. If you remember now, what we've learned from chapter 5 up to this point is that the Lord is addressing the subject of kingdom living. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time through this series, you know that that's the case. He is comparing and contrasting the godly soul from that which is ungodly. And that's the whole purpose of this sermon, or the, the exact divide that the Lord has been making in every illustration that he's brought out. And he's dealt with just about that, just about every subject necessary to teach us what a child of God should do, and that's a physical act, what we should think about, how we should live our lives emotionally, spiritually, whatever, however you want to think of yourselves and your external life, uh, both internally and externally, this is what God is saying. Every subject he is teaching us how to set us apart from the world. We are to be the examples of what is different from the world, whether it's our relationship to his word or whether it's to uh, some subject of morality. It doesn't matter what the subject is. Money, possessions, worry. Jesus is teaching the same thing. We're to be different. We're to be different because we are his children. We're to be filled with his love and his power and letting go of what we want in this life for what he wants in our lives. And now he's going to summarize all of those things with just a few words as we just read in verses 7 through 12. Okay? So that's what you're looking at. And he's doing that, if you remember, because there were those in his context, literally in his setting, who were opposed to what he was teaching. They were opposed to him. And Jesus knew that. They were supposed to be the ones who were living this different life. They were the religious leaders, but they blew it, and they blew it big time. And we've seen that over and over again in the series. They failed in every area of godly life, every area of godly living, because everything that they stood for was selfishly motivated. They wanted to make themselves something that God had no intention of making out of them. And so what did they do in order to lift themselves up? They condemned other people unjustly. We've been through that in the sermon. Over and over again that happened in lots of different ways. They judged people wrongly. That's where we were last week. And basically they violated every standard of what it means to have a right relationship with people and God himself in just about every area. And so it was a very serious thing. And so as he winds down this sermon now, his point is to show the people, to show us, anybody who's a part of his kingdom or reading the Bible will think that they have it all together, are not the most qualified people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's those people who are the least qualified are the ones who find themselves being a part of God's kingdom. And that comes from the Lord saying, in my own paraphrase here, uh, basically, if the Lord were teaching this message to us and you could see him right now instead of me, you would hear him saying, you can't do it. You cannot live the life that the Father requires of you. You can't do it. I think he would be saying it that specifically. You can't, no matter how hard you try, 
No matter what you do in this life or who you become in this life, you cannot be the person that God wants you to be. You're not good enough. In fact, I think following that, he would say, that's why I came. I came to this earth so that you would understand you cannot do it and help let me rescue you. Now he's speaking spiritually, but which will turn into something tangible for us one day, which we already talked about. But he's saying, I am the only one who can give you the life you're really looking for and wanting. And it's really not until a person understands that truth that they can really become a part of his kingdom. And that's what he's been saying. If you think with me, those of you that have been with us for a while now, that's exactly what he's been saying all throughout this in my, my words there. There's only one way to live, and that's God's way. Now, as he's summarizing this, let's look at three different points this morning, and then we'll be done with this section and jump into his final remarks over the next couple weeks. So understanding the purpose of what he's doing and what he's teaching in this sermon. It's taken us months to go through it. He was preaching it very quickly. I think, number one, he's saying this. If you really want to be God's child, you have to trust him for everything. That's number one. Trust him for everything. You say everything? Yeah. Everything. You mean this, 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 this? Yeah. That's what everything means. It's an all-encompassing word. Notice what he says in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Now read between the lines here just a little bit. I'm not talking about creating a theology that's not there, or a doctrine that's not there, but just listen to what the Lord is saying. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now what he's saying there is, without me, you can do nothing in this life. He's covering all the bases. Ask, seek, knock. Okay? And you will have what you're looking for. But you've got to come through me. You see the emphasis there? All right, now, let's take a step backwards here because I think there's an erroneous understanding of this verse that people have taught. And that is, they think that what the Lord is teaching is that whatever you want, ask God. Whatever it is, just ask him. And if that's not enough, beg him. And if you don't beg him just a little, or if you beg him a little and nothing happens, then beg him more. And that's kind of the emphasis that's often taught is, no, God will give you whatever you want. It says it right there in verse 7, right? They'll use the text of Scripture to say, look, it says whatever you want, he'll give it to you. In verses 7 and 8, And so the emphasis from so many groups is you don't have what you want because you're not begging hard enough. You're not knocking hard enough on the door. You're not seeking him hard enough. I mean, you got to lay down and jump all over the floor like a Mexican jumping bean and then maybe God will hear you if you ask right. I mean, really, I mean, people believe this, that you've got to go to the nth degree to get what you want out of God. But that's not what the Lord says. Listen to what he says in James chapter 4, verse 3. He says, you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. What's James saying? He's saying the reason that you don't get what you ask for is because you're selfish. You're selfishly motivated. 
The things that you want from God are things that are not what's best for you. In fact, the reason that we are asking often the things that we do from God is because we don't like pain. I mean, really. We don't like things to be a problem. I was telling the early church this morning, is just kind of a quick illustration, is that if you get on your phone, and don't do it right now because you're supposed to be listening to the word of the Lord, and you were checking your bank account, and all of a sudden it said zero, I doubt very seriously anybody's going to stand up and say, Praise the Lord! And especially if you see it's down to around $100 below that zero, you're going to go, Praise the Lord even more! No, you're not going to do that. You look at that bank account and you're like, oh, Hope I didn't overdraw my account. Hope everything's okay. You see, we're, we're so concerned in our lives with what we want and what we feel is important. And that's not wrong in its own context. But it so often overshadows us that it extends to everything. Lord, don't let me be out of money. And whatever you do, don't let me get sick. Right? We have these dreadful diseases that are going on, on around us. And, and we say, Lord, don't let me get sick. Don't let me get sick. Don't let me get sick. Well, why do we not want to get sick? Well, there's good reason not to get sick. We don't like to not feel good. But that's the point, right? We're afraid. And we don't want bad things to happen to us. Some people would say, uh, I, I've grown up in this house and I don't want to move from this house. Don't make me move from this house. I'll go kicking and clawing and screaming because I love this house. I'm just making up some silly stuff here. Or Don't let me get old. I don't want to get old. And we'll buy all the creams and all the exercise equipment and all the lotions and all the tablets and everything else because we don't want to get old. God, please don't let me get old. I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. I don't want to get old. Why? Because we're selfishly motivated. When the Lord has already said, hey, you got to get old because that's my way of getting you out of here. In fact, the Bible says the glory of a young man is his strength and the glory of an old man is his gray hair. So those of you who are getting gray out there, be excited because the Lord says that's your glory. I don't have either one. I don't have strength or gray hair. So I don't know where that puts me. Anyway, we'll say things like, I don't want my children to starve. Keep me from this or that. Don't let that happen to me. And so you get the point, all right? Instead of simply saying to the Lord, you tell us what is best for us, Lord, and we'll do it. So saying things like, Lord, if it's your will that this or that happens, then I'm okay with that. And I remember years ago, I say years ago, I guess it's been years ago now, um, these illustrations are very pertinent to me. That's why I come up with them because I look at my own heart and I see how I've struggled through these things. And I think, well, surely somebody else has struggled with the same thing. I, I loved where I grew up. I have very fond memories of the home place and um, living the life that I did. It was peaceful. It was joyful. Um, if, it was, if you know the story of the Lord of the Rings, it was kind of like the Shire to me. I mean, it was just that place where you just, you just never want to leave because outside of that place is where the world is and, and it's dangerous and you don't want to be a part of that. And, and I can remember vividly walking through the field there one day and, and just looking up to the Lord and saying, Father... You know I don't want to leave this place, but if it's your will, I'm just letting you know it's okay. And I'm sure the Lord said, I'm so glad you gave me your permission. Right? No, he, didn't, he probably didn't do that, but he is gracious and kind. He understood my heart. He knew that that's not what I wanted, but I think that was the idea that God was working in my heart. And so we say to him, Lord, if you decide 
that this is what's best for my life right now, then I'm okay with that. I'll let you have your way in my life, whatever that may be. If it's you want to make this or that happen, you're God. And I know I'll be okay because you're God, because my trust is in you. And I know that you only do what's good. And again, the reason that we don't want to say those kind of things is because we're afraid for our own lives. We're afraid that, uh, well, like people who have said about the missionary calling, Lord, I'll serve you wherever you want me to go as long as it's on the beaches of Waikiki, right? And that's kind of the mindset that people have. Lord, I'll do everything you want me to do. Just don't let me go through any kind of pain. But that's not the right heart. When we go through those times and we don't get what we want, in other words, when we're asking God and we're seeking God and we're knocking on the door of God's uh, kingdom, if you will, his, his heart, and we don't get what we want, what happens? We think God's not listening, right? And when we think God's not listening, we'll knock harder and we'll do all kinds of things to get his attention. And if we don't get what we want, we'll more and more think God is not listening. And then suddenly Satan begins to use that against us and we get discouraged and we stop following what God wants and we go the other direction and we start walking away from God. I've known people in my life, and you probably have too, and maybe this is you, I don't know, I remember one professor that I had in seminary. Actually, he was undergraduate in seminary. Wonderful man. Loved him to death. Great, great teacher. Always talking about the Lord. Suddenly, his 16-year-old son was killed in a car wreck and didn't see much of him at all. In fact, I think he quit teaching and just kind of became a recluse uh, because he just couldn't handle the pain of losing his son that he loved. Sometimes we have to face some really challenging things. But the heart of the believer is, Lord, I'll take whatever it is that you give me. In fact, John said, you can know that God is listening to you and God cares about you because he says this. This is the confidence which we have before him. You want confidence? Here's the confidence. If we ask anything according to his what? His will. He hears us. You said, I thought verse 7 said, ask, seek, and knock, and he'll give me whatever I want. Well, we've got to put it all together. We've got to make sure we're hearing everything from the Lord. And so John comes along and says, yes, God does hear you. Be comforted in that. God listens to you if you're his child. We'll talk about that in a second. But just understand, God will respond in a way that is according to his will. Why? Because he is the heavenly father who knows what's best for us. And so just be comforted by that. So this passage then, this whole section really, if you wanted to say it that way, is a section about not getting something from God. This verse is about having a relationship with him. That's what God is really doing through this whole sermon. Not only is he dividing the ungodly from the godly, but he's talking to us about what it means to have a real relationship with him. That makes him far different than every God that the world makes out there. He is the only God, first of all, and he is the God who wants a relationship with us and therefore wants us to have a relationship with others that is right. That's what he wants. First it starts with him, and then it goes to others. And so think of this verse then as a bridge really between chapters 5 and 7. So we could go 5, 6, and 7 is this jumping point where Jesus puts it all together 
teaching on judging and everything else that he's talked about so that you and I learn how to live in community with each other. That's important. God not only wants us to have a community relationship with him individually, but he wants us to have the right kind of community relationship with each other. And we could spend a whole volume of messages on how we mess that up, right? I mean, we say we love people, but the people we love the most are the ones that keep their distance. And I'm not just talking about because of COVID. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about because we know we're supposed to love people, but often we struggle with people, and so we stay away from them. Well, God doesn't want that. God wants us to live in community with each other, but he's got to teach us how to do that and how to do that best. If you remember last week, we talked about the judging principle where we said there is an ungodly judging, and that's what Jesus started with. But then we said there is a godly judging, and we got to do that to find out who are the real people who belong to him. We don't want the first part, but we certainly have to make judgments, in other words. we got to do that, and I won't re-preach that message. You can go back and listen to that. But as we we learn through that, uh, we don't have the discernment on our own to be able to make the kind of judgments that we need to make. And so this bridge, then, is... Also, not only the whole part of the sermon, but it's really also including this last part on the judging part. You can't make your proper judgments about who belongs to God and who doesn't on your own. You have to ask him. You have to ask for God's help. You have to seek him on the matter. You have to make sure that you're really uh, going to him for whatever it may be that you need to make a judgment on. And so, very simply, the Lord is saying, we need him for this kingdom living. Can't do it on our own. But you remember now the backdrop of this sermon is the guys who were trying to do that, trying to live life the way that they thought was best. And it became a very arrogant, very stifling, very legalistic kind of approach to living for the Lord. And so the Lord comes through and he breaks through all of that and he says, look, if you belong to me, all you have to do is ask. All I have to do is seek me. All I have to do is knock on my, on my door, so to speak, and I'll give you everything that you need, not only to be able to judge rightly, but everything else. And know exactly how to live this godly life externally with people, internally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever you want to put in it. And so we could go back, and this is important because Jesus brings this out in, this, in these verses. We could go back to places like Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, we could go to Leviticus, which is a, uh, the, the original. There's the Exodus, and then there's the Leviticus, which is the law, the giving of the law to the Hebrew people. Deuteronomy is written some years later as a retelling of the law. So we could go to either one of those, but in Leviticus 19, you go the furthest back when the Lord first gave this to Moses, and here's what he said. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You see what God's saying to him? I'm telling you how to have a relationship with people. So don't hate them. That doesn't work for good relationships. You may surely reprove your neighbor. In other words, there are times you've got to speak up and say what's wrong. But shall not incur sin because of him. Okay? It's not because of what they do. You're not going to be judged because of that. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor how? As yourself. I am the Lord. He's saying that as a command. This is what I want from you. You want to live in right fellowship, right community with your neighbors? Then love them. Love them. Which, by the way, all of that could be taken back to the Ten Commandments. 
Some people look at the Ten Commandments and they look at the rest of the law. Well, just understand this. As you see the Ten Commandments given to us in Exodus chapter 20, that is a very brief outline, skeletal look, view, however you want to say it, of the entire law. So what we have in Exodus 20 that God gave to Moses on the mountain then was uh, elaborated on in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So it became much clearer how we're to live with God in relationship with him and in community with other people. So that's just a little snapshot there. And so Jesus really then now is just validating what the Old Testament taught. That's what he's doing in these verses. The truths that those religious leaders were supposed to know, but they didn't, didn't know, or at least didn't want to know, because everything had become about themselves. And boy, that's a warning flag. That should be something that we pay attention to. We don't go to the Word of God just to get something that we want for ourselves. That doesn't mean that we don't. Certainly there are things that we do. We've seen that multitudes of times in the, in the sermon alone in various places throughout Scripture. But the foundation of it all is here in what the Lord is saying. And we'll reiterate that. And first, in fact, look at verse 12 as really the cornerstone of the entire sermon. I'm not just talking about today's. I'm talking about from chapter 5. In everything. Okay, that's an all-encompassing word. In everything, therefore, what's the therefore for? Everything he's talked about prior to that. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And notice the phrase he puts at the end there. For this is the law and the prophets. So all he's doing is going back and he's saying, folks, I'm not giving you something new. This is what was already written. It was written in Leviticus, was written in Deuteronomy. It was started in the Ten Commandments. So just do it. Just do it. And people will say, oh, but I don't like to go back to the Old Testament. That's hard to understand and it's confusing and, and God seems so stern and so strict and so unloving and so unkind. And man, people died in the Old Testament because God did this or that. And beyond that, it's so structured and it just seems so lifeless. In fact, people will even, teachers, Bible teachers will, I've actually had people say this to me. I don't teach anything out of the Old Testament because that's Old Covenant. I had a guy tell me one time, oh, why are you teaching the Old Testament? That's Old Covenant. Go to the New Covenant. Spend all your time in the New Covenant. That stuff's passed away. No. It may pass to, have passed away in part, but the only way we can understand the New Testament at all is to understand what God was saying in the Old Testament. Right? So we got to encompass this whole thing, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's come to establish the new covenant, but he's taking them right back to the old. In fact, that's why he could say, listen, when he was asked, you want to know what the summer of the entire Old Testament is? Now, he didn't call it the Old Testament then because there was no other testament written yet. Didn't have the New Testament written. So he's saying, here, you want to know a summary of the entire Old Testament? It's Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. You shall love the Lord your God here it is. We just read this with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's just going right back to the Old Testament. This is the great and foremost commandment. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophet. 630 some laws Jesus summarized and condensed into two verses. Because that's what they mean. That's what they represent have a right relationship with God, and have a right relationship with people. That's the point. 
And so verse 7, just understand, is not a promise to give you whatever you want. Doesn't work that way. Don't get upset when you ask God for something and it doesn't come through. Because it may be you're being selfish. Your heart's not right. You're looking for something because you just don't want any pain in your life. This is a message from the Heavenly Father to encourage us to make right judgments, yes, in the context of what we just went through last week, but also just to know if we ask him, he will help us. He loves us, and he wants to do that. But he'll do it according to his will, which he always knows will be best for you. He knows perfectly what, his, what is best for us. And so he will help us by giving us a spiritual and mental fortitude to go through the things that we have to go through, to live a humble life, to be broken of sin, just like we saw in the Beatitudes. That's why Jesus started with that. Here's how you have to start. You got to come broken. You got to be a broken person before the Lord. It's all got to start there. And from there, he'll help you with your anger. He'll help you with the things that cause you to feel prideful or when you find yourself tempted in various ways of life, whether it's sexually or materially or anything else. When we're broken before him and we've trusted him as our God, he'll help us with all of these things. He'll help us as he's told us in the sermon, look, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. And why did he say that? He says, because I've already, I, I, I will give you whatever you need. You don't need to go through all that. You don't need to be overwhelmed or anything. Because God is saying, look, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want, well, he knows us, but he wants us to know him is really the point, which is why in any relationship, I think this is why he's saying what he's saying in verse 7. Those of you that have gone through any kind of counseling know, and I'm talking about marriage counseling, is communication is number one. Once you know you have a relationship with Christ, then in that human relationship, there has to be good communication, Right? And so I think Jesus is just simply playing on that truth and saying, look, in order for us to have good communication and a good relationship, you've got to ask. We've got to talk about it. You've got to come seeking me. You've got to knock on my door. And let's work this out. And you can see all of that. The communication is the asking. The continued devotion is the seeking. Uh, and then a true relationship is built on going to see somebody. Right? I was telling the early service that it's one thing to call people on our fancy phones. That's awesome that we have that ability. But the next step is what? Let me just FaceTime them. Their face pops up. That's a little bit closer. But nothing gets as close as going and knocking on somebody's door and saying, hey, I just came by to see you. You see? It's that progressive thing of don't just ask, don't just knock, but come see me. Let's build this relationship that I really want from you. And that's what God is saying. Now, let's make sure that we understand. And I mentioned this earlier. Look at verse 8, who he's really talking to here. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. What the Lord is really specifically saying here that we need to be clear about is that he is addressing believers. He's addressing believers. Okay? Notice the word everyone. It's really important that you understand that. That does include everybody who belongs to him. Not everybody in the world. God is not saying that anybody ask of me, I'll give it to them. Because the world is selfish. We've already been through that. That's what we were just talking about. 
The world doesn't know how to come to God. Now, God will reach out to that person. We know that. God will open their hearts. That's why the Bible says no man comes to the Father until the Father draws him. God begins the process. But what the Lord is talking about here is to the believers who are listening to him, those who are his children. We've talked in the past about the difference between a creation of God, which we all are, and a child of God. The children of God are those people who have done what we talked about a second ago. They have recognized that they are sinful in front of him, and they don't want that sin anymore. They want to repent. They realize that that sin is condemning them in the presence of a holy God, and and they want to be clean of that, and they surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. They become the children of God. Often you'll hear people say, oh, everybody's a child of God. No, that's not right. Everybody's a creation of God. But not everybody's a child of God. The children of God are those who have humbled themselves and submitted to him and given over their lives to him. Those are the children of God. And that's who Jesus is talking about. And so if you're here this morning or you're listening to us online, uh, if you don't know that you fully surrendered your heart to Jesus, that there was a time in your life where you said, Lord, I need you. I see my sin. I surrender myself to you. I know Jesus is the Savior, and I want to commit my life to him. If that's not you, then this message is not for you. This message has to start there. The Lord would first be saying, the first thing I want you to do is to repent. Turn your life over to me. And then we'll talk about the other stuff. That's where it begins for you. So I pray if that's you this morning and you're listening, that's what you're hearing the Spirit say. Don't worry about the asking, seeking, and knocking. The asking, seeking, and knocking for you is, Lord, forgive my sinful heart. I want to come into your family. And I open my heart to you. And God then, the Bible tells us, will come into our heart and forgive us of our sin. So you need to start there. Now, secondly, by default, this should be clear now, this is for those who obey him. This is for those who obey him. Okay, now what do I mean by that? I'm saying that because there are many people who say they believe. Lots of people say they believe. Lots of people do believe in their own way. Lots of people say that they are children of God. But the reason that they're not hearing from God and being a part of what God does is because of what Jesus has already said here. Their lives don't reflect that relationship. They don't. They don't reflect the relationship that is supposed to be truly genuine. All of you all know. If you have a genuine relationship 